Mac Power Users, Episode 342, Mac OS Sierra. Welcome back to the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside my pal David Sparks. Hello, David. Hello, Katie Floyd. How are you today? I'm well, and uh, we are here to talk about the latest. I was going to say cat. It's not a cat. No, no more cats. Geography, location. That box was too smelly anyway. Yeah. I, uh, but before we, uh, before we talk about Mac OS Sierra, I, uh, I just wanted to say um, uh, that I understand you're taking joy in the sorrow of your family members. <laughs> Uh, not, nothing, nothing is for certain yet. But you know, we we did our iOS ten show last week, and uh, I I went through the whole week and had to watch on Twitter and Facebook and social media as everybody collected delivery of their new iPhones, except for you. You haven't gotten yours yet because you somehow forgot to order it. No, I ordered it, but I didn't finish the order or something. There was something goofy with the upgrade. Oh, and by the way, uh, just to make it. Perfect. Because I'm leaving for Indianapolis and I was planning on having it before I left. Uh, apparently, when they went through, they charged my credit card and my credit card company decided it was fraud because <laughs> there was a watch a couple days before and then the phone. So they just didn't honor it. And then Apple sent me, they did not send me a message. I actually just by checking in, they said, oh, your credit card was declined. And this happened like a week ago. No phone for you. So I, I got, I called the credit card company, told them, no, it's not fraud. And they're like, okay, but now it's not going to get here till after I return. So uh, I guess it's just not meant to be, but, but what's going on with you? You weren't going to get a phone because your family, I might actually get a phone before you do then. So we will, we will see. So uh, things are changing in the Floyd household. Um, it's been an interesting week. I have held my guns. I have been strong throughout this whole ordeal. I am fine with not getting an iPhone 7. No problem. And then what a difference a week makes. This uh, this past week, uh, my brother has gotten iPhone 7 fever and has been chomping at the bit and has been investigating with Verizon what all of his options are for, for upgrades. And uh, my mom, unfortunately, dropped her phone this past week um, and has gotten a nice little ding in the screen that's um, kind of cracked and you know, is, is starting to spread a little bit. Did you see the iFixit thing where they put the iPhone underwater for eight hours and it just kept working? Yeah. Nice. Um, it it looks like we're going to get several new phones on our plan, which is going to prompt the change to the new plan, uh, which means there's no reason, probably going to be no reason for me not to get the iPhone 7 if they're going to have to change the plan anyway. Because you remember from my big tale of woe last, last week, the only reason I was not upgrading is because it would throw everybody else on my plan off and cause them to have to pay more money. But hey, since they're driving that train anyway now, I'm just along for the ride. Good for you. All right. Well, see, there, there's there's some uh, there's a little bit of sunshine in those those cloudy days. I, I want you to know I did not trip anybody. I did not do any. <laughs> I had nothing to do with this. You didn't do the drop test on your mom's phone. I'm just an innocent bystander. Yeah, I, I am impressed, though, with the iPhone 7 testing results in terms of its ruggedness and water resistance. I uh, I'm looking forward to getting one now. But the uh, if you look at the online tests, you know how the first day they come out, there's a bunch of people on YouTube that run out to destroy their phones. Right. For the for the joy of YouTube clicks. And they were having a hard time doing it. So that's good news. I, I always wonder, dude, like those normal people who do that get enough YouTube clicks to justify paying for a new phone. 
I don't know about that. I guess it depends. Maybe that's the way you make your bones. The uh, I think it was a lot easier a few years ago. Remember the guy would stick his phone in a blender and everybody knew about it. And so everybody would watch it. But now there's there's a lot of, you know, me too's out there. So that would really suck if you destroyed your phone, your $800 phone, and then you got, you know, $20 in YouTube clicks. That would That would be a bummer. Yeah, that would be. Anyway, but we're not here to talk about the iPhone. Uh, I am excited. Finally, let's get back to the Mac. All right. And uh, there's a couple things going on. We've got a new release that's going to have come out just a few days before the show uh, hits the air. We're recording it the day before it releases. Uh, It's called Mac OS now. It's no longer Mac OS 10 or OS 10. Uh, What's your feeling about the name change? Uh, I have already created a text expander snippet. Yeah. I did that the first day too. I'm I'm okay with this. It it kind of rolls off Mac OS. Meh. I I like it better. It makes more logical sense. Mac OS makes more sense to me than the capitalization. Okay, we'll get to that. But just the name itself, Mac OS makes more sense to me than OS 10 because there's a lot of people like I don't understand or OS X. That was always the confusion. It was actually supposed to be said OS 10. And that was, you know, the big reboot of the Mac OS. And then it just kept getting really ridiculous 10.11 where we're at on this thing. Uh, so now they've just changed it Mac OS, which logically makes more sense. We are actually at 10.12. It, it is Mac OS Sierra version 10.12. Yeah, but that that's the internal build number that never that's not in the marketing like it used to be. Right. And at some point I forgot where we were. I'm like, where are we? 10. I know we're more than 10, six. I think we're like a couple above it. Well, they, they do march on. So the capitalization thing Katie's upset about, uh, Mac is lowercase. So it's lowercase M A C then capital O S and it's one word, no space Mac OS. That's the way you're going to refer to it. Now. I remember writing books. It was Mac OS 10 and then it was just OS 10. And you know, we had to change everything in the books we were writing because, uh, the name was changing. Well, that's happened again. And this particular flavor, as Katie was mentioning, is called Sierra. It's kind of interesting because they started out with Yosemite, which is one of my favorite places in the world. And then they went to El Cap, which is focused in Yosemite, kind of giving it a whole snow leopard feel. And now they've gone to Sierra, which is the Sierra Mountains. Yeah. Tell me about those. Have you been to the Sierra Mountains? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a whole mountain range. It, it's kind of weird because I never would have thought that they would have named the operating system after a mountain range. I could think of a bunch of little cities along the Sierra Mountain range, but I never thought they'd name it after. It's like name after the Rockies, right? Or the Appalachians. But they did. And um, uh, I guess it really doesn't matter because they like mountains and they have some really great pictures. And they're like, hey, we got some more pictures of these mountains. We, we can't use Yosemite. We can't use El, El Cap. Okay, we'll just call it Sierra because they're in the Sierra Mountains. They clearly do it based on what they can get great photography for desktop backgrounds. Well, there you go. And they are beautiful, by the way. Um, it, even though it, it kind of feels um, like Snow Leopard and the Sierra Mountains in relation to Yosemite kind of feels related. So... Um, this operating system update does feel a little bit like Snow Leopard, a lot of refinements, a couple of new features, but not a whole lot. And, and honestly, uh, I think that has something to do with the experience of the last couple of years. You may recall that they got very aggressive with iOS 8 and uh, OS 10 Yosemite. The reason they did was that was when they really started the collaboration between the two platforms where, you know, you had handoff and all these new power features they were working on airdrop and you know they just had a bunch of stuff 
And somebody at Apple said, look, we've got these great computers, great, great mobile devices. Let's make them talk to each other better. And that took a ton of under the hood work. And we've all heard this, the war stories from the people that work at Apple. When those came out, they weren't the most stable of releases and they got a lot of, of heat from it. And there were, you know, people in the press and people in the blogs and the podcast were complaining that it just felt like unstable releases. And I feel like that they're dialing it back a little bit now. Uh, at the time, I was a little bit of an Apple apologist. I argued that if you were going to make all this stuff talk to itself like that, that it was going to, by necessity, have a lot of under the hood stuff. And that always has stuff that breaks. Uh, but now, you know, they're slowing down a little bit. I think they're just kind of refining and, and sharpening those things that they added in the last year or two, which makes uh, for a much more stable release and transition. So just like we were talking about last week with iOS 10, it's not going to set the world on fire, but that also makes the transition easier. I feel like Sierra overall is the same way. So I agree, especially if they've gone to these yearly release cycles. I don't think we need, though, big updates every year from Apple. That's OK. I, I think these nice little refinements uh, continue to work. So let's talk about some of them, though. Well, just one caveat on that, I would say, is I like the idea of yearly incremental releases, because if you look at yearly incremental releases over three or four years, it, it actually turns into quite a bit. The only thing that concerns me is when you look at the the development cycle for your re yearly release, that means you've got, you know, you get a, a release out sometime in uh, August, let's say, or September. You're going to spend a month or two dealing with the bugs and the problems that come up from that. And then you're going to have to come up with what are the new features for next year. So that gets you to maybe, let's say, December, January. And then you've got two or three months to kind of really lock those in and then start polishing those up for announcement in June at WWDC. And then you've got this race to September again to finish them and ship them. So you really only have, according to some experts, you know, three to four months of actual development time that you're not polishing. Whereas if you had to release every two years, that would give you something like 12 months of development time, which would allow you to get more aggressive features. So that's the one thing about the yearly release cycle is that makes me worried that they're not going to do more of the, you know, big aspirational stuff they wanted with the operating system because they simply don't have time. But all that being said, I do like this year's release and I like that it's it's relatively small, but it, it does have improvements where they matter. And get to remember, Apple's not charging us for these releases anymore. Remember that it was 100, 129 bucks, 129 bucks. I used to go stand in line at the Apple store. I did that a couple of times. Pay my $129 and get my shiny box. And a shirt. Don't you remember the shirts? You used to get shirts if you went at the middle. Of the and we used to pay, I think it was 180 or 160 because we'd get the family pack. You know, we'd get the five. You know, you get the, you remember that? Mm -hmm. you, you pay a little extra and you'd get five licenses. And we thought it was a deal because at the time, I, mean, I remember when the operating system updates were a lot more than a couple hundred bucks. But now it's not even an issue. You just log onto your computer someday in the next week and you're going to see the update, push the button. So let's talk about it. So the big highlight feature for this release of the operating system is much anticipated. Siri has finally made its way onto the Mac. And ever since Siri was released on the iPhone, people have been asking, when is Siri going to make it to the Mac? And she's finally come. 
uh, series finally now on the Mac. She's a little more limited on some of the tricks that she can do towards the Mac, but I think the things that she can do on the Mac, at least for an initial release, make sense for now. I, I didn't ask, have you installed it? Yes, yes. I've been running the beta for several weeks now. I think that, you know, the implementation of Siri on the Mac is is long overdue. I mean, honestly, I think it feel I feel like it should have happened a long time ago. But now that it's here, I do, I do like it. I would say that, you know, having used it, that it's 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 uniquely for the Mac, which is what we expect. I mean, there's certain things you're going to do on a mobile device that you're not going to do on a computer and vice versa. I feel like they haven't gone far enough down that road, but it is nice. So how do you activate it? Um, there's a couple of different ways you can hold down command space and that will activate it by default. No, you can't. You can hold down option space. No, I hold down command space. You always get that backwards. No, that's the way I set it up. I think maybe, or is that the default? No, the, the default I believe is option space, but it's, I'm just joking with you because you always have it backwards behind. No, actually you do Katie. I have it backwards. (laughs) I think you have it backwards. Um, (laughs) But it's it's options that you can set in the Siri preferences. One is command space, one is option space, one is function space, or you can customize it. Or you can turn the keyboard shortcut off altogether. Yeah. And uh, so you hold it down, you hear the familiar blip, and you start talking. One way you don't activate it, though, is by saying the magic incantation. I think that's interesting because you would think of all of the places where, uh, have we decided what the magic incantation is? Are we going to go with a Hoi telephone, which is kind of the, the relay? I feel like that's kind of a ripoff, you know, because that's what they're doing. Is that, I don't know. I don't know what other show started that. That's what they do on Upgrade. Yeah. So I don't want to feel like we're stealing from them. Oh, maybe we'll ask permission. I, yeah, I'll have to ask Jason. I actually asked um, out to the Twitterverse and there were some some good you know there were some good options one was yo siri which i thought was okay listen phone but none of them really call out to you like a hoy telephone well we could say hello computer because that's you know what scotty says hello computer okay let's do that <laughs> so you could say uh, you can't say hello computer to your computer which to me is interesting because one of the reasons that the uh, the hello computer feature was not activated on for a long time on phones by default was primarily for power save for saving um so that's not going to be as much of an issue with a computer that has a big old battery and especially computers that are plugged in. Now, I wonder if perhaps this feature isn't active because they're worried about it being activated in a public setting because people, you know, your computers are typically out in a public setting more. Well, I guess your phones are too. If someone walks by your desk and says, Hello, computer. Tell my wife I'm sorry about those test results and just keeps going. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there's a maybe there's a bigger risk of it being activated. I don't know. I, I'm sure there's a story behind it. You can also activate it up in the menu bar. There's a little Siri icon if you click on it. But I do wish you could activate it with your voice because I, I've been using it. And um, and I do wish I could activate it with my voice. It, it's funny because when I first started using the beta, I wasn't using it very much even though I've been whining about them putting on the Mac for all these years, once they actually made good on it, I found that I didn't find much use for it because I'm just used to, my phone is always sitting right here and I can activate it with my voice and get answers to my questions. So I, I forced myself to start using it and it's kind of stuck. Now I do like it. I mean, I like the way it presents results. And if you're sitting at your computer, having the answers on your screen has benefits. 
let's talk about some of the things that Siri can do on the Mac because it's a it's a limited subset. It's not everything that Siri can do on the phone. Yeah, but but the, then there's some things that it it can do that your phone can't do. Like if you say, "How much storage do I have left?" Siri also can do a lot with files, so it can locate files. Uh, it can sort files. It can, I guess it can't rearrange files, but it can, it can help you search for files based on a whole lot of different criteria. So you can refine files based on what you've been working on or certain types of files or files that meet certain criteria in terms of files I worked on yesterday or files that David Sparks sent me. Yeah. I, I like, I do like the um, ability to like when I'm working, sometimes I need to send a message like, tell Katie that I'm going to be late for the podcast or something like that. Uh, using Siri on your, on your Mac, it makes it very easy to do that, to send out a quick text message without leaving your document and kind of breaking the flow of whatever you're working on. I mean, that's where I find the real, the benefit of it. In addition to the file stuff, it also does data search. You can search the web or search maps, you know, find Starbucks coffees near me or find, Mac power users on the web. Right. You can also find photos. You can find photos on the web. You can find photos that you took in your um, library. So one of the things that we talked about last week, and we'll talk a little bit more about this week, is photos gained additional search capability. And so you can use Siri to to activate those searches. Yeah, like show me pictures of Daisy last month, and I'll see pictures of my wife from last month. And it works. It's pretty nice. Right. Um, Siri can also integrate with music. So you can tell her to play certain types of music. You can tell her to play things from Apple Music. If you're an Apple Music subscriber, you can tell her to play certain types of genres or songs from specific artists. Those are all things that you've been able to do with Siri on iOS for a while, but those features now come to the Mac. One of the things I've been using it for repeatedly is weather because I'm, you know, we're having a weird Florida style humidity spin here. So I'm trying to find out. Don't even talk to me about that. Oh, is it bad there right now? It, it's like 100 all the time and 100% humidity all the time. It's more like 40% humidity here, but we're Californians, so we think we're all going to die. Um, but so I've been asking, and uh, an interesting kind of face-off between, uh, between the Amazon Echo and Siri is that the Echo, if you ask it about humidity, it just tells you the temperature. It's like it, it has a set answer. Anything weather-related is going to tell you what the forecast is for temperature and what it's going to, how hot and how cold it's going to get in the next 24 hours. It just, that's the canned answer. Whereas with Siri, it will actually tell you what the humidity level is. If you ask it, it's a little more clever that way, but it's fun kind of testing the two against each other. Uh, another thing I do quite often is I, I am, um, I want to know what time it is in other places. Like when I, when I post the Mac power users, uh, Mac power users, the relay, you know, headquarters, you know, the master computer at uh, Relay runs on the GMT time zone because we don't mess around at Relay. And when I want to know what time it is in GMT, Alexa can tell me, but Siri cannot. Did you know that? I just have a menu bar widget that will tell me what time it is in GMT. That's what I use. I like to talk to my computer, I, uh, you know, because I like this thing. It's called Star Trek. It was this great show that used to be on where you just talk to computers. I'll have to turn you on to it someday. Mm, okay. Yes. I'm not familiar with that. Um, I like kind of the utility stuff of Siri. Like how much free space do I have on my Mac? Uh, you can ask it that now. Find photos of dogs or whatever. I mean, it, 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 there's a lot of stuff in here that they that they've added. 
it doesn't feel to me like essential. I'm starting to understand why they didn't rush to put it on because I don't use it that often because your hands are on the keyboard, right? Right. But uh, it's it's a nice addition. It is. I, I'm. I the, some of the things that are Mac specific, I really don't know that I would use it for. A lot of the you know finding files, that, a lot of that seems a little gimmicky to me. Where it would be easier to do with Spotlight, I, or when I when I'm really looking for a file, I tend to do much more granular and specific searches, and I think it would be easier to access by Spotlight than it would be with Siri. And some of the other gimmicky things, like you know, adding meetings or or things like that, you know, th- those are things that I can do with my watch or my phone. So those are features that I've always had. Where sure, if I'm sitting here at my computer, I'll I'll do them. But you're right, I, I don't know that it really feels that need that I had now. I think I'd still much rather have an Amazon Echo type product from Apple with Siri. Yeah, me too. I wonder if they'll actually do that. One day. But getting back to Siri as it is right now, it's just another vector into some of these these data sources. And I'm not sure. I'm definitely used to using things the other the old way. And you know, when you're somebody like us that's been using LaunchBar or Alfred or even the new and improved spotlight, and you've got those keyboard shortcuts under your fingers, quite often you can get things done pretty quickly. I mean, I hit the keyboard shortcut for Fantastical, and I've added a meeting with the time and the specific calendar and alarms and all this other stuff before I've even really thought about how I could design a query to Siri to create that via voice. I just don't think it, it would be as fast. Okay, but so so what's our verdict on Siri? Are we getting towards the whole Star Trek move here? Is it going to feel like you can just talk to your computer? I think it's nice to have. Uh, I certainly am glad that we've added it. I think it still has a ways to go. I think at this point, it's still a little bit in the gimmicky phase, but that's how Siri has always started. I'm, I'd rather have it than not, but I th- I'm not sure how much I'll use it. Uh, on a related subject, before we, we go to the next, um, the dictation function of Mac OS X, oops, I called it Mac OS X, of Mac OS Sierra, is better. It gets incrementally better every time. It's not super better, but it's better. I, I was testing it against some documents that I pull out every time there's a new update. So if you just double click the function key and you allow it to download the dictionary and do dictation for you, it's still not as good as Dragon Dictation, which came out with an update, by the way. But uh, it's a great entry point, And if you want to try talking to your computer, there's no better way. I want to thank MacPaw for their continued support of Mac Power users and tell you about their new Mac Optimizing Bundle. So MacPaw has joined two of their flagships apps, Clean My Mac 3 and Gemini 2, into a killer combination for Mac Power users, listeners, to get you ready for Sierra. These two apps will take care of everything from drive cleaning to duplicate file removal to system maintenance and speed up, and they'll get your Mac running like new either before or after you'd make the upgrade to Mac OS Sierra. So grab your Mac bundle by heading over to macpaw.com slash MPU. 
I've been running MacPaws products for years. I love the care and attention that they've put all of their products. And especially Clean My Mac 3 is the ultimate cleaning software for your Mac. In fact, it's the one that I personally use and recommend. Here's why I like it. Uh, you can make sure that your whole Mac is clean and optimized and works. Now, I know that Sierra builds in a lot of these features by default, but they can't even hold a candle to what Clean My Mac is able to do for you. It is incredibly easy to use. It's got powerful scanning tools that will go in, dig up all of the junk, and clean it out of your Mac. And it's got a safe one-click smart cleaning tool. So by default, it's going to go through. It's going to clean out some caches. It's going to see if you've got any junk left in iPhoto, if you've got any mail attachments that can re be removed and give you some suggestions for files that you might be able to remove to save up space. No joke, last time I ran it, I saved over 18 gigabytes on my Mac. And it's a one-stop shop because now they've built into Clean My Mac version 3 uh, utilities as well for maintenance. So you can go in and you can safely uninstall applications to make sure that you get not only the app but the cruft, run some maintenance tools, Protect your privacy by removing things like uh, web cookies and caches and things that perhaps you uh, don't want other people to see on your computer and safely and securely uh, shred files. I'm a big fan of Clean My Mac, and this is an awesome bundle that you can use to get your Mac optimized for Sierra. So again, you can grab your bundle at MacPaw.com slash MPU. And thank you so much to MacPaw for their support of this show and Relay FM. So Photos got some improvements on the Mac as well as iOS. So we talked last week about a lot of the iOS 10 improvements that came to Photos, and all of those improvements also came back over to the Mac. And I think, honestly, David, I think a lot of these improvements make more sense on the Mac, at least for me, than they necessarily do on iOS. Though I know for many people, Photos on iOS, is it's where they take their photos, it's where they store their photos, it's where they look at their photos. So I guess it really depends on where you're managing all of those things. Well, I think the point is that they're available on all devices. You know, before, you know, the idea of facial recognition, it was on the Mac years ago, and it never occurred to us to have the device do facial recognition for us. But now the processors inside these devices have got strong enough that they can. I mean, I saw some of the benchmarks. The iPhone 7 processor is faster than, I believe, any MacBook Air. And as fast as a three-year-old MacBook Pro. So, I mean, we've got some real horsepower in these new mobile devices, so now they can do stuff like that. And there's people that are going to choose different devices. My sister just put her Mac on the scrap heap. I mean, we got she got a new uh, jumbo-size iPad Pro, and she says, I don't need a Mac anymore. So you want to have these features on every device. But you're right. They, they certainly fit in nicely on photos on the Mac. So now you've got facial recognition, you've got the ability to search out objects, it's got that memories feature. Uh, Photos got some real nice additional features with the Sierra update. Now, interestingly, though, um, the facial recognition, the search, those types of things, and we touched on this a little bit last episode, they do not sync back and forth between iOS and Mac. So if you've previously let your photos on iOS do facial recognition, and um, analyze your library, you're going to have to let that happen again for Mac because with Apple, everything is a silo. They're not sharing that information back and forth. Yeah, some, there was some event where I saw Federighi, the head of software at Apple, talking, and this came up. I believe it was the, um, the interview he did with the talk show at WWDC, but I'm not certain. But someone said, hey, what about the metadata? How come it's not searching over? How come you can't have you know, all the work you do of figuring out who's who in terms of facial recognition just happen automatically and sync across devices. And 
the the answer, like Apple, it's never really definitive, but the answer sounded like, yeah, we're working on that, but we're not there yet. So for now, it's going to be doing everything locally on each machine, and you may have some differences in what they decide, but I don't think it's going to be a huge difference. See, the impression I got is that because Apple does not store this data in the cloud, because they've got such a strict stance on privacy and they don't want this data in the cloud, that it's never going to sync. Yeah, if there's some way they, but the impression I got, they found that there's some way they could anonymize and sync it. Just the metadata without actually seeing the pictures. I think there's a way to do that, but I don't know. I, I guess that's probably why we don't have it yet. They're still figuring that out. The um, w- What's been the reaction of the people around you, Katie, uh, with these new photos improvements? I mean, you've got normal people in your family, like everybody else, that that's not a super nerd. Are they getting excited about the changes in photos? My mom tells me every time that she has to do a project in photos that she hates it and she wants iPhoto back. Okay. Well, this is a little closer. What what were the features that she lost that she doesn't like anymore? Um, it really, she finds photo editing more difficult in photos than iPhoto. Um, she finds that she has less control and less options. Now, keep in mind that she doesn't use a third-party editor to, to edit photos. She's doing all of her photos editing and retouching uh, in the Photos app and not, not using a third-party editor. Well, in my family, the... Um We've had a lot of fun searching for objects in the libraries. See, my family doesn't even know these features exist. Well, we, we like put the uh, we put the iPhone on the Apple TV. You know, I can share the image and then we would just say babies. And just, we had like 100 pictures of babies and some of them were 100 years old babies. And some of them were like last week because we got some babies in the family. So it was kind of fun looking through all the baby pictures. So we're having a good time with it. But I wonder how often people are going to really use this under fire. I mean, once in a while you will say, remember that dog so-and-so used to have, and you're going to search for the pictures of dogs and then narrow it down to the 60 dog pictures that will make it a lot easier to find it. But I don't think this is something people are going to use every day, but it's nice that it's there. Anything else notable about photos? No, I mean, it's just like we said last week, like the memories and, and those auto galleries, I think they still need tuning. Just like on the Mac, it's not a processing issue. It's just an algorithmic issue. I think that stuff still needs additional work. But hopefully we'll see benefits and and improvements in that as we go forward. Right. It's going to be hit or miss depending on, you know, what you find. Or like me, you're going to end up with pictures of refrigerators and your best of the last three months, which, you know, refrigerators are important. Yeah. And expensive. I just bought one today. (laughs) So... (laughs) Uh, probably the thing I was most excited about for macOS Sierra uh, is Apple Pay coming to the web. Uh, Apple Pay is is coming in Safari, and I am very excited about Apple Pay. I really wish it would take off in more places, and I, I think it is slowly but surely getting there. But as someone who's had their credit cards compromised multiple times um, due to data breaches with, with various vendors, I just... I do not like putting my credit card out there in various places. At this point, I have one credit card that I keep in a drawer right here that um, is the only credit card that I typically put on the internet. And I just kind of plan on, you know, for having to replace that every 18 months or so. And I am so excited about Apple Pay coming because what that means is I'm going to be able to use Apple Pay on the web. I can I can start paying comfortably. I mean, I always could, but comfortably using my debit card on the web, which I've never been comfortable doing. Um, and people, vendors aren't actually going to have my credit card number. They're going to have a randomized number that is, um, tied to my credit card. But if someone compromises them, I don't care because they're not actually going to have my credit card number. 
Yeah. And it's interesting that they are setting up a way of verifying this using your phone or your watch. So if you've got the Apple Pay enabled and you're searching on the web, your Mac is going to ask you to put touch the um, thumbprint or the touch ID sensor on your phone or click on the button on your Apple Watch. So it's kind of funny the way all this stuff is tying together, which kind of gets back to what I was saying at the beginning. This stuff needs to, um, to make all this stuff work together, took a lot of work. And now we're starting to see the benefits of it where they can add features like this. I wonder if this means, and people have suspected this, we getting touch ID on the Mac coming. Yeah, I, I want to talk about where we stand with the Mac hardware when we get to the end of this discussion of, of Mac OS Sierra. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if we get a MacBook that's got a thumbprint sensor on it in the next couple months. Right. Now, I will tell you, um, I have seen a few places on the web. I think Stripe and Squarespace have started implementing this. But I personally have not had an opportunity to use Apple Pay on the web. Um, one, because Mac OS Sierra is still, as we record this in beta, and is not getting wide adoption until tomorrow when it launches. And two, I'm still afraid we're going to get some pushback from vendors because there is a reason that vendors want your credit card number. I mean, it's got marketing and information and it's a... um. It's complicated, I guess I'd say. It's interesting that Apple, um, Apple does not want to make a whole lot of money on this, but I'm sure they're, they're getting some money out of it. But the, the real big deal is they want to have this idea where every time you use the Apple Pay that it generates a new number. I mean, that's the most consumer-friendly piece of it to me. Whereas, you know, Home Depot wants to know that if David Sparks comes in here, he repeatedly buys solar lights or whatever. And that gives them information about me and ways to figure out how to make more money off of me. And that stuff is really valuable. One of the things that surprises me, and I'm not going to name names here, but at least here in the U.S., some of the companies that have been the victims of the, some of the worst data breaches are still some of the worst offenders for wanting to keep your credit card information as a feature. But there's there's a lot of value to them in that information. I, I just now that I'm a small business owner, I, I don't want anything to do with that. I mean, I realize that our business is very different and that you and I have have really no um, vested interest in keeping people's credit card information. But I, I, I kind of am siding with Apple. I, I want as little of your personal and confidential information under under my control as possible because I don't want to be responsible for it. It's starting, the banks are starting to push back and saying, look, if you don't have certain minimum security requirements, you're going to be responsible for the fraudulent charges. And I think that is going to push people towards putting Apple Pay terminals. And, and I'm seeing them in more and more places. I, I was joking earlier about buying a fridge, but I actually did buy a fridge today. <laughs> Woke up today and the fridge stopped working. And I said, well, I guess we're going to eat all the food then. And um, I paid with it with Apple Pay. I didn't know that you could do that in many places, but the place that sells the refrigerators takes Apple Pay. So that's nice to know every time you can avoid putting that number out there one more time, you feel like you're a little bit safer. I, I used uh, Apple Pay today at Fresh Market. Okay, um, let's move on to the next subject, which is Mac and iOS working together as a team. There's a, there's a couple little features here that I want to cover quickly. Um, you know, and this carries on the theme I said earlier, you know, a few years ago, they said, we're going to make these operating systems work together. And now we're getting even more stuff. We have handoff, we have SMS calls on the Mac. By the way, do you use calls on the Mac? You know, when you get phone calls in. Seldom. Do you, I, see, I use it all the time because I work from home so many days now 
and I've got this really great microphone. I've got a good set of speakers and people never really complain. So I, I take calls on my Mac all the time. I love that feature. Uh, but anyway, the, the new one that they've added or one of the new ones is auto unlock, which is awesome. If, uh, if you are an Apple watch user and you're wearing your watch and it's unlocked when you sit at your Mac, it just unlocks for you. I love that so much. It sounds silly. You know, it's a small password you get to type in every time you want to unlock your Mac, but just to have it happen just because your watch is near is pretty cool. I wish I knew what this was like, but I have had so much trouble getting this feature to work. Uh, I actually have not had it successfully work for me. It works for me all the time. Now, uh, I had to change my verification method. I did that. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So originally, and I don't know why they did this. <laughs> Apple had a, a prior two-factor authentication, and now they have a new one, and you have to update it. Yes, it's it's two-factor authentication and two-factor verification. Now, do you know which one of those is the new one? I have no idea. I just know that I'm on it. So you know that you're on the new one if when it asks you to, so when you sign into a new website with your Apple ID and it sends you a verification code, if that verification code includes a little picture of a map with a location, you're on the new one. If when you get that little text or a verification code and it does not include a picture of a map, you're on the old one. And I believe it's just if it's an SMS text coming through, you're on the old one. Uh, not necessarily, because you can't have an SMS text on the new one as well. Okay. Yeah. So I've done that. I changed from the old one to the new one. Um, I've gone through all the help articles online about what to make sure to do. Make sure that you're Bluetooth on and make sure that you're signed in with the same iCloud account and make sure that it's not a full moon and make sure that, you know, all of these other things are back to my Mac is turned on. And, um, I, you know, I have not yet, I've not yet successfully been able to get the Apple watch to, um, unlock my Mac and I have not been able to get the universal clipboard to work. So I think there's something wonky going on with my continuity. I think, I think that's a personal problem. Yeah. You need to look into that. Um, but it, so to, to set up your two factor verification, go to appleid.apple.com and log in there. No, 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 no. That, that's the old one. So you want to turn off if you're on the, the old two factor system, you have to go to Apple ID and turn it off. And then once it's turned off, if you want to get on the new Apple system, then you have to turn it on one by one from your various devices. That's right. In the, in the control center or the, um, in the settings on like iOS. In the iCloud settings. So example, for example, from your Mac, you're going to go into system preferences. You're going to go into iCloud. You're going to go into account details. You're going to type in your password. You're going to go into, there's a security box and you're going to turn on two factor. Again, I'm not sure if it's verification or authentication, but you're going to go into that one. Um, and then you're going to do that on each of your, your iOS devices, both on your phone and on your iPad. And I'd recommend setting that up on all your devices and also your family and friends devices, because it's a, uh, it's a good idea in general and helps avoid you getting hacked, but it also gives you cool features like unlocking your Mac with your watch. So the way I, I did it the first time I installed it, it said, Hey, we can unlock your, your Mac with your watch. Do you want to do that? And I said, yes. And there was a settings that it jumped right to. And I believe it's in the security pane of the settings on the Mac. And you click a box that says unlock with my watch. And just like that, it unlocks with your watch and you're good to go. 
unless you're Katie. Yeah. And according to the security settings in iCloud, it's called two-factor authentication, but it sends you a verification code. We, we need to work on our terminology here, Apple. Well, just, just the fact that there are two different ones. My understanding of the reason for the big change was the, the first one was heavily reliant on SMS. And since you can spoof someone's SMS, you can spoof someone's, um, I forget the cellular code name, but they can get, they can basically have someone receive that message from a remote device. They wanted to get away from that. And now the new version not only sends you the code, it also sends you the location of wherever the request was made, which is why you have a little map installed. So when I see somebody from Orange County, California, trying to log into my Apple ID, I'm coming after you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> So anyway, get that updated. And Katie, please let us know on the live show. Yes. What is what is going on with my continuity? I, I don't know what it is. There's clearly a problem. Uh, I kept thinking that it would get fixed in one of the subsequent betas, but it seems to be working for most people, but not me. But neither my unlock or my universal clipboard is is working. And I am on what I believe is the final golden master. So hope, hopefully it's just a personal problem. There you go. We, we talked about the, uh, we didn't talk about the universal clipboard when you're we talking about this stuff. Uh, so the idea is if you've got something on the clipboard on your Mac, you can get it on your iPhone or iPad and vice versa. I've used it a couple of times and it works fine, but I don't find I have much use for it. It just, it's just not too often that I need to jump between devices. The Mac power users is brought to you this week by the Omni group iOS 10 just shipped, and without surprise, the Omni Group was right on top of it. I had the opportunity to talk with some of the folks from the Omni Group this year at WWDC, and one of the things they were most excited about was watchOS 3. So it should be no surprise that watchOS 3's version of OmniFocus really delivers the goods. They've rewritten OmniFocus for the Apple Watch for the third time in two years, and they had some great results. The new version offers much improved performance, a new extra-large complication, and an app that responds to the digital crown. My favorite feature with the new version of OmniFocus for the Apple Watch is performance. It is so much more responsive than before. I now use OmniFocus in the top right corner of my Apple Watch as my complication, and I'm in there all day checking on tasks and checking them off. Once you load OmniFocus on your Apple Watch, you'll be able to flip between views using the digital crown. This adds power without th making things more complicated. Glances are now gone in watchOS 3, but if you add OmniFocus to your dock, you can still see a summary of your day at a glance. In fact, I've told my Apple Watch to keep OmniFocus in my dock. OmniFocus on the iPhone also got some nice improvements with iOS 10. The Today extension has been completely revamped. It's great, and you can even add a new inbox item right from that Today view. One of my favorite touches is they've added a Show Less button in the Today view, so you can just see the single most important task item one at a time. This allows you to keep a long list in your Today view, but shorten it whenever you need that extra space. With the iOS 10 version of OmniFocus, they've also added that Today View shortcut to the 3D touch functionality on the icon. So if you've got an iPhone 6S or an iPhone 7, 3D touch on the OmniFocus icon on your dock, and you're going to love what you see. The Omni Group also did updates to OmniPlan, OmniOutliner, and OmniGravel for iOS 10. They're fully ready for the new operating system. Go download your updates and check out those new features today. 
Thank you, Omni Group, for your hard work in bringing all your apps to iOS 10. And also thank you for sponsoring the Mac Power users. Okay, one of the bigger changes with macOS Sierra is this idea of storage management. And one of the problems people are having is that the you know storage on these mobile dev- on these computers, these laptops in particular, is limited, especially some of the MacBook Airs and the MacBook itself, where they've got a smaller size SSD drive, and people have more and more storage and, and data stored on their devices. So we had the situation where some people would have more iCloud storage or Dropbox storage than they actually had room on their drive. And both Dropbox and iCloud through Apple have been working on ways to solve this problem. And Apple took it on with macOS Sierra with storage management. Can, can I just say that this terrifies me? Yeah, I knew it would. I knew it would. <laughs> I was thinking, this is the feature that Katie is going to hate. I, mm, terrifies me. That, well, there's a couple things here. So I, I understand, and we're going to talk about why you should be a little wary of some of this. But not all of it is terrifying. Uh, some of it makes a lot of sense. Um, None of it makes sense. Really? You think that? Okay, I'm going to argue with you on that. The first one that I would argue that makes sense is... I, I think it makes sense in theory, but I <laughs> Apple has not exactly been very good at this. You're in such a hurry to pull this down. Let me talk about the parts that I like first, okay? I just make sure you have good backups. Well, of course. I mean, that anybody who listens to the show knows we always believe in a lot of extra backups. But documents and desktop files sync to iCloud. So this is a nice idea. I mean, if you've got multiple Macs, uh, and I, I used to, we'll talk about that later, but... You put something on the desktop temporarily, and then later you're working on the other Mac. And of course, it's not there because you saved it to the desktop and desktop stuff just doesn't get put somewhere. That's one of the reasons why I went nuts with that action folder in Dropbox so long ago. Because when I have a temporary file and I want to go somewhere else, I want to see it everywhere. So Apple has built, you know, baked this right into Mac OS Sierra. Uh, You can throw a switch and you can have it synchronize the documents folder and the desktop files to sync through iCloud. Now you're going to need to have enough iCloud storage. And of course, Apple's happy to sell you more if you need it. But um, that issue aside, I think this has a lot of benefits for people that have multiple Macs, or even if you have just one Mac, but you're on an iPad later, you use your iPad as your mobile device. And you're like, man, I really wish I had that invoice that I saved to my desktop on my Mac back at home. Well, you can access that now on your iOS device as well, because you put your documents and your uh, desktop files into iCloud to sync. It's a form of backup, I would say, but not really. But the best thing about it is it has your files synchronized everywhere and iOS access to. So what do you hate about that? Well, I think you have to know what you typically store on your your various drives um, or, or where, where you typically store things. If, especially if, if you're someone who does a lot of podcast editing or video editing and you store temporarily really big files on your hard drive or, or excuse me, on your desktop or on your downloads folder, mm, that could be a problem because you could be syncing these really big files temporarily back and forth that you don't necessarily need. Uh, so I think you have to be aware of where do you typically store your files? Are you storing large temporary files on these places? And do you really want that data syncing back and forth? So I think you have to know how you're using this stuff. Yeah, you have to be grown up about it. No question. I mean, and, and if you've got something you're doing in your life, I mean, not everybody's is editing massive podcasts or movie files, but if, if you do. No, but a lot, a lot of people use their 
um, their desktop for temporary storage. If you have something that has massive files and you don't want to be putting it through this system like that, uh, you could solve that problem by using some other place for temporary storage. So you could still have the benefit of this while not having the large files go into the sync system. I mean, it's just a question of making intelligent decisions about it. But I think having a built-in feature where you can share this stuff if you want and you don't have to, I believe this is not turned on by default. No, it is not. Um, so you can... But it, but it does ask you, right after you install Sierra, it does ask you, you know, how you go through, do you want to send logs to developers? Do you want to do this? Do you want to turn on Siri? It does ask you, do you want to turn on optimized storage and do you want to turn on the sync feature? Yeah, I, I think it's a good idea. And and I'm sh- I feel confident that they can manage the sync just fine. Yeah, this is not the one that I have the biggest issue with. I just think I just think you need to know how you typically store your files and whether or not you're going to be using gobs of bandwidth syncing stuff that you really don't need to be syncing in the first place. Yeah, and the controversial feature is what they call optimized storage. And uh, this is that problem I was talking about. When you've got more files and more cloud storage than you have space on your computer. And that problem isn't going away. It feels to me like the SSD stuff has kind of stalled out the last couple of years. I mean, it was, remember when SSDs first came out, 64 gigabytes was the big one, right? And then it got to about a, a half a terabyte. But, you know, by this time I was hoping we'd be seeing, you know, reasonably priced like two terabyte size SSDs, but for whatever reason, we're not. No, I'm seeing, I'm seeing 512s pretty reasonably, but from third-party vendors, not not from Apple. So that's the problem, is that you've got this drive in your computer that's not big enough to hold all the stuff you have. So how do you solve that problem? Um, with with Dropbox, you can go in with what I believe to be a pretty clunky interface. Uh, you can go into the app and turn off certain things to sync. Like I had, when I had a laptop, there's a bunch of my Dropbox stuff that just didn't sync over. Um, Apple's idea is, you know, it's Apple, right? So how do you think they're going to solve the problem? <laughs> they're, they're not going to give you a bunch of buttons to push. They're going to have give you one button to push to say, would you like us to solve this problem for you? And you either say, yes, I would, or say, no, I wouldn't. And the scary thing is when you say, yes, I would, you're not really sure what they're doing. That's the scary part. So what it does, it automatically stores, and I looked up the word on their website, and it is in quotes, and they'll outline for a reason, rarely used files. <laughs> so what does that mean, you know? I mean, if there's a movie that you don't watch that often, but then you get on an airplane, is it not there anymore? Because if it's a big file and it's rarely used, they're going to stick it in iCloud and you'll still see it in your finder. It's, it'll still be there, but it, I'm sorry, there will be a link to it still there. But when you actually want to access the file, it's going to have to pull it down off the cloud for you. And you're not always connected to internet, or maybe you're in a place where internet's costing you a bunch of money and you don't want to pull down a whole movie file. So um, the idea of this is we're going to make the decision for you. It's kind of the typical Apple black box. You push a button and we just solve it for you. But it's super scary, which is why Katie is terrified of this. Mm-mm, not turning that on. I haven't turned it on either. <laughs> oh, and you're giving me grief over this. And you're like, no, I'm not turning that on. Well, I mean, you just you just reject it. I think it's a good idea. I, I, I think it's something I would recommend listeners wait six months and let other people be the canary in the coal mine on this because... If they can pull it off and it works. And and frankly, because I don't I have an iMac now that's got enough storage. I don't need that I don't need that problem solved. I don't have a, a small laptop with a small amount of storage. But I, I would give it six months just to kind of see how it all shakes out because people are gonna use it. Um now that Apple's releasing the operating system, 
there's going to be a bunch of people that are going to find what works and what breaks and they'll write about it and it'll get out there and people like me and Katie will talk about it in six months or so. We'll know whether this works or not, but I, I would wait, but the, you know, the, the long-term solution they're trying to solve is a good one. That is, how can I have a bunch of movies and a bunch of other, you know, data heavy files that I want access to? I'm paying for a terabyte of iCloud. Let's say you're paying 10 bucks a month, you get a terabyte. And I've got a computer with 256 gigabytes of storage. So how do I solve that problem? Well, they've got an answer for you. Does the answer work? I'm not sure yet, but we'll find out. And I think that the only way you're going to find out is to release it. So it's out there now. I'm glad it's here now. I'm glad they didn't wait another year on it. But I, I don't immediately go to freak out mode on this. I think it's a good idea. Just it needs to be implemented correctly. Well, I wish there was some more granular control over this because I think some of these these optimized storage tricks are really good ideas. Like some of the things that it will do for you is things like delete application installers or delete duplicate. That's separate. I mean, optimized storage is a very special beast. I mean, it, whether or not you click that on, um, it's all, it's already more aware of storage problems. So like whether or not you use optimized storage, additional storage tricks it adds. One of them says, once you install an app, and it's pretty cool the first time you see it. Uh, the first time I saw it, I freaked out. I'm like, what, what what's going on here? What app is suddenly telling me that, you know, monitoring me in, in my files, you know, I, I got thinking if it was one of the utilities I installed, but no, it was the operating system. But when you, once you click an app installer, it'll offer to delete it for you. That's smart. But you were telling us that there, there are new storage tricks too that Sierra can do. They can be turned on separately. Yeah, it'll, well, it's not turned on. This is stuff just, just happens. It can delete duplicate downloads. Um, it, like if you, sometimes you press the download button twice. I mean, I mean who hasn't done that? Right. Um, uh, it, it'll find and delete large apps. Um, there's a setting to and um, to delete the trash. Anything that's older than 30 days, it's kind of like a variation of what you can do with Hazel, but not as granular. Um, uh, you know, I, what I wanted to do is is compare it to some of the utility tools to see how far does it go. In, in general, the answer is like everything else, Apple, not as far as this, especially as utilities. Yeah. One of the things that I did is I noticed um, actually this weekend before we were recording the podcast, uh, I tend to run with about 70, 80 gigs free on this particular Mac. And I got a warning from Backblaze that I was running low on on disk space. I didn't even notice I was I was down to like 30 or 40. And I thought, gosh, w what is going on here? Where did this come from? So I, I download, you know, I used a couple of our favorite utilities and um and found that I, sure enough, I had a couple of big files, a couple of big podcasts I hadn't downloaded and got rid of those. But uh, I also ran Clean My Mac. They have a, a beta that's been testing for uh, Sierra. Yeah. And it found 18 gigabytes worth of stuff that could be cleaned out, which is, I, I tend to run pretty lean. So I don't know if that was just the installer that installed a lot of bloated things, but much larger than usual uh, cache files and, and things like that that I was able to to clean out and get back down to my normal size. And with Apple getting into this this racket, I, I don't think that clean my Mac is anything to worry about. You know, it's still they're they're just they're better at this stuff because they've got a whole team of people thinking about nothing but this, whereas this is an add on feature for the update. But the optimized storage kind of thing is something that only Apple could do. I couldn't use a third party to do it. it just doesn't work that way. Um, so I, I'm not against all of these these updates. I, I feel like that it's all in the right direction. I like Katie, I feel conservative towards optimized storage, but I don't feel negative towards it. I think it's probably the right decision. I just want to make sure they've implemented it correctly. And the idea of syncing documents on a desktop 
uh, files through iCloud makes complete sense to me. I am, I'm going to, I've turned that one on. I'm fine with it. Yeah. And, and what I was saying before, I, I still wish there were more granularized controls. I wish that I could say, don't ever touch anything in this folder. Don't ever optimize these things. But I think until there's some some safety nets there, I, I don't know that I'm going to turn it on. Yeah. And I'm not sure they're ever going to give you that feature that where you get that control. I just, you know, it's Apple. It's hard for them. I, I One of the problems that Apple has, and, and people in our community have written in with this before, is uh, Cupertino seems to have this assumption that no matter where you are in the world, that you have fast, ubiquitous Internet access. And that, you know, re-downloading a, a multiple terabyte file on a whim is going to be no problem. And that's not necessarily the case. Agreed. I, I do think there's a, a, a super assumption there that you can always get something off the cloud. And there we have we've heard from listeners who live in countries where it's difficult to get or they live in. There are listeners who live in this country. I was about to say that there's rural listeners that have really expensive Internet and it's difficult to get. So it's easy to assume the cloud is the answer to all these problems. And if you have poor internet connection, optimized storage is not for you. You're going to run up your bandwidth bill without even realizing it because your computer is offloading a bunch of data for you. But but for those people, I would argue they probably aren't going to even have much of an iCloud presence either because you don't want, you don't want your computer doing a bunch of that work. And I I will tell you though, I'm kind of excited because my front yard is all dug up right now. You know what's under there? Um, Cable of some sort. Fiber. They just installed fiber optic cable in my neighborhood. Everybody in the neighborhood's so pissed off that the neighborhood's all dug up. I'm like, oh yeah, bring it, bring it on. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to hearing your uh, your reports of your uh, your upload and download speeds. Uh, no, it's not connected to anything yet. It's just they just buried it. So uh, we'll we'll see. We'll see when it actually gets connected. It still could be a while, but I'm I'm hoping maybe by the beginning of next year we right right now kind of the cable company's got a monopoly on stuff here, but I'm, I'm hoping by the beginning of next year, we start to see some other options. All right. Uh, you want to talk about messages for a few minutes? Yeah. You know, I'm so excited. Well, I, I, I continue to feel that this improvements of messages are a bigger deal than us nerds think. I wrote a post about this week at Max Barkey because I, uh, I was in Starbucks and there were these two, uh, two women on the booth next to mine. And you know how you, sometimes you just can't help but overhear things. And I think my ears perk up when it, subject is Apple devices. And they had just updated their phones and they were going completely insane over the stickers and the the effects and everything they were doing. They were showing each other how to do it. If I can ask, how roughly old were these people? Why would you ask that question? I'm just curious because I feel like that's a little bit of a weighted question there. I'm just curious. Were they? I would say uh, probably around 40. Really? Or, or were they 14? Yeah. Oh, no, they weren't 14. They were they were definitely beyond 30s. and. I would say in the 40s. Okay, so these were adults. In fact, I was going to, when I wrote the post, I had originally drafted it as two middle-aged women. And I said, why did I put the word middle-aged in there? That doesn't, I mean, that seems to me like I'm being a jerk. I, I was just more so curious if they were teeny boppers or... No, they were not. No, they were not. So anyway, they were talking about, and one of them says, this is the best update ever. You know, and they just were like loving it. And I was thinking, you know, all of us geeks, we get so hung up on this stuff. But, you know, there's a lot of people out there that they just want to send stickers to their friends. And and trust me, my uh, my non-geek friends are definitely sending me a lot of stickers. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so how does that all weigh in with the Mac? I feel a little disappointed, to be honest with you. Um, they get some of the effects, but not all of them. Um, for instance, 
you know, that respond back feature, the one that Katie likes when someone sends you a text message and you want to just put a thumbs up or thumbs down on it, something like that. You can do that on the Mac. Just right click on it, say respond back, and then you can select among the same icons you have available on the iOS devices. Stickers can be viewed, but not sent. So if you spent, let's say you just spent 10 bucks buying a box of stickers and you want to respond with messages on your Mac, you can't. You can see them. So if somebody sends it, you see it, it shows up okay, but you can't actually send them. And the screen effects aren't there at all. Um, I, you know, I, I feel like they ran out of time. I think there could be an update in the future that um, I was trying to find a good word, but that brings these features to the Mac because I think Apple does definitely want the the parity between the two. But I think the priority was definitely on iOS because when they look at their market who was asking for these features, that's primarily an iOS market. Yeah, I, I can't but think maybe it was just like one team and they got it done for iOS and then they had a time to, to do a little bit on the Mac, at least to show them up. But And I can't help but feel like, Katie, that we're going to get an update at some point that's going to bring that parity in because there's really no reason why the Mac can't do all the same things. It's really just though building an interface for that. Um, there is no iMessage store on the Mac, but I guess if you bought them on iOS just to be able to access them on the Mac. The, the interface of attaching a sticker and displaying them, I think, would take a little bit of work. But I feel like they, they need to do that. I mean, we've got this idea that, you know, you've got these devices and you should be able to do anything from any one of them. So I'm a little disappointed that that doesn't all work. But I do see the stickers, which is good. Have you bought any more stickers other than Star Wars since last week? I never bought the Star Wars stickers last week. Oh, my goodness, Katie. What am I going to do with you? I, I did download the classic Mac sticker pack just in the interest of testing. When you were like a little kid, did you ever like go out and yell at the other kids to get off your lawn? <laughs> uh, Silence. I don't know. I'm, sh- I'm sure I did. <laughs> I'm sure I did. However, I, I will say um, I did find the curmudgeon button in uh, iOS 10. I'm very excited about it. Yes. What is the curmudgeon button? So you remember I was telling you last week that uh, iOS 10 needed a curmudgeon button that would turn off some of these crazy features in messages. Well, don't tell me the accessibility thing. Yes. You- if you go into accessibility and you turn on reduce motion, it doesn't get rid of all the crazy things, but it will uh, it will get rid of um, like some of the loudness effects like the boom and the shaking and the uh, all the ridiculous balloons and lasers. So go ahead, David, send them to me to your heart's content. I'll never see them. You took the joy out of your iPhone. My goodness, Katie. Next time I see you, I'm going to, I'm going to change it. I'm going to get your phone and change it. <laughs> you're you're going to have to knock me unconscious and touch ID me to, to get in. But, <laughs> well, uh, that would be, that wouldn't be that hard. Really just take your hand. I could do it, <laughs> but uh, I'll add my thumb. <laughs> Oh, the the downside is you. Not that it's a downside for me. I couldn't care less. Uh, you you can't send those either. So if you've turned on reduced motion and accessibility, a lot of people were reporting that you you can't send certain type of of iMessage effects. And so I was going, hmm, I wonder if it works the other way around. And sure enough, it does. So you really turned it on. You just you don't get any of that stuff now. I still get the stickers and the gifts and and those kinds of things. Katie, I don't know what to do with you some days. No balloons, no lasers, no booms. I'm, I'm, you just, you, you hurt me. You cut me right to my heart right now. So all the balloons I'm sending you, you're not getting those. Um, I don't know if you've been sending me balloons, but I haven't been seeing them. 
This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Hover. When you have a great idea that you want to set up something for your blog, your project, your startup, whatever, you need to give it a great domain name. And finding that perfect domain name is easy with Hover. And when you find that domain name or that email address, you don't want to have to opt out of page after page of add-ons or scour around to make sure that you've unchecked all the right checkboxes to make sure you don't get spammed for the rest of your life. That's why Hover only offers domain names and emails, so you can focus on finding a great domain name and get back to work on your great idea. They also believe that you shouldn't have to pay for things that should already be included with your domain. Did you know that when you register a domain, all of your contact information, including your email address, your phone number, and your home address is published online for marketers, spammers, hackers, stalkers, whoever, to find in something called a Whois database. And unlike most other domain providers, Hover includes free Whois privacy with all supported domains to keep your information confidential. That's why I use Hover, and that's why you should consider using them too. So head on over to hover.com and use promo code Sierra, S-I-E-R-R-A at checkout to save 10% off your first purchase. Thanks to Hover for their support of the show and all of Relay FM. Okay, I now I've recovered a little bit. Um, iTunes got some improvements. Uh, it's not that much better, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> I don't, you know, I, the problem with iTunes is it's just a it's, it does so many things. You know, the, 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 the huge problem they have is it, it shows movies. It does music. It does TV shows. It holds podcasts. iTunes University watches classes. You can buy apps. You can do audiobooks. You can manage your tones for your uh, ringtones. And that's just the beginning. So how do you show all that in one application? They've gone uh, up and down with a variety of different answers. The most recent one is we're going to put a button in the upper left corner when you click on it, you can click between any of the different types of media. And when you pick one of the medias, then we're going to focus just on that. So they've turned it into something like 12 different apps that have this button you can choose between where you want to be. Um, I don't know that it's that much better. Hey, I can at least play my music in iTunes on the Mac. We got, I got so much vindication from people saying that, yes, I, um, Apple uh, music on iOS is worse. And that I was right. Um, I, I don't think it's huge, huge changes to iTunes for the Mac. I really think iTunes for the Mac still needs a major redesign and that it, everything needs to come out of it and they just need to start again. It's, you know, it's just, they, they have all, you remember that, that funny video that said, um, if Microsoft had designed the iPod packaging, do you remember that video? You remember how classic and iconic the original iPod packaging was in that original box? I almost feel like that's where we've gotten with iTunes. Yeah, it, it is a slave to all these different media. So, so do you think the answer is to make like five different apps? So you've got like a movies app, a TV app, or... or I, I, I still think you pull out the Apple. I think you do this both on the Mac and on iOS. I would personally would pull Apple Music out from my music. I think those are two separate apps. Um, I think the App Store is its own separate app. I think you have an App Store for Mac and an App Store for iOS that's that's all together in one app. You've already got the App Store app. Just put it all together in one. And, um, and uh, you know, you could have a separate podcast app. I, I don't know, but I don't know if that's necessary. But I think you, you pull a lot of this stuff out of iTunes. Well, that, and that's the question is how, how, how many pieces do you break it into? <laughs> and, you know, and the other thing with the music is, there are people like me who subscribe to Apple Music and have purchased music, and I want to have access to both of those libraries. So when you break into two apps, 
then those people are going to be unhappy because you got to you got to choose from two different apps to play your music. Well, and a, a lot of it you could do with existing apps. Like you could turn the DVD player app into a videos app. We already have a videos app on the on the iPhone and iOS. You know, you could have a videos app that plays uh, DVDs, um, TV shows, and movies. I I agree. But when they were starting from scratch on iOS, they did they chose not to combine all this into one to make into separate apps. Um, but I do think it's not an easy problem to solve. At the same time, I um. I'm glad it's not my problem to solve. Let's just put it that way. And then you've got all the synchronization stuff with the phone. I sync. Let's bring that back. Yeah, bring. I think that would clearly be something you could do. You know, why does it have to be attached to this? But then they have the same issue of the media. So when you sync your phone, do you want to pull movies in? So is it going to have some kind of hook into the new videos app? I mean, how are we going to access all that data? I can see why it stayed one because. It's kind of paralyzing the idea of breaking it apart and all the different things that are going to go wrong. But but it still feels like overwhelming and it feels like old school Microsoft. You're right. You know, if Microsoft built an app to sync everything, maybe that's what iTunes looks like. Okay. Um, uh, some more small touches in the Sierra update. Uh, Apple likes tabs. They like them a lot. So they're starting to put them in everything. Everywhere you want now, you got tabs. I mean, we, first we had them in Safari, then we got them in Finder last year, and now we're getting them where it's more uh, accessible in other applications. All of this, to me, goes to that whole idea of full-screen apps, especially on the smaller laptops where you want to have a full-screen app. Why wouldn't you want to have the ability to, to cycle between two different pages documents by having a tab? Um, I'm okay with it. It doesn't take much room on the screen. And if it if you do use multiple documents, it makes it easier to navigate them. Uh, tried it, I kind of like it. Uh, do you have any opinions? I think tabs are fine. Uh, I wish I used them more than I did. I kind of it's one of those things that because they haven't been here for so long, I have to train myself to use them. But when I do use them, I like them. And another nice feature they added is picture in picture, which is something that started out on iOS. So if you're watching a movie. Uh, you can have it so it just floats on top of the screen. You can position it anywhere you want on the screen, but by default, it's in one of the corners and allows you to have a little like the baseball game on or something while you're working. Um, I have not been using this generally because I have an iPad. So when I want to have my picture in picture is putting the video on next to the computer on my iPad while I'm working on the Mac. Um, that's how I watched a lot of the Olympics. Um, how about you, Katie? Are you trying this stuff out? I really like the picture in picture feature both on Mac and iOS because it allows me just to throw something over in the corner. But I get really frustrated when I come across sites that don't support it. And I think you find that a, a large amount of time. The sites that have these proprietary video players or for whatever reason don't want you to pull the information out. Um, that just gets really frustrating. Okay. So, I mean, that's the big, that's the big items in Sierra. As you can see, none of them are super earth shattering but it's a nice update makes sense uh, if you're going to put it on your computer what are the things you should do uh, like always we in the backup show we've covered this and other os 10 i'm still doing it mac os update shows we've done in the past uh, do a mirror or a clone installation or a clone backup of your computer before you push the red button you know get a little extra hard drive attach it use super duper or carbon copy cloner they're both very reasonably priced. 
and uh, install it on and have it just make a clone of your computer. So it copies everything. So if everything goes terrible with the backup, which probably won't happen, but you never know, you've got a, a, sh- a, a mirror image of it right before you, you, made, you push the button. And that allows you to wind back to it without a lot of difficulty. Well, and, and as I've said in the past, David, I want you to have a couple of these. You know, we, we talked about you really should have a clone backup as part of your normal backup strategy. So I want you to have that. And then I want you to have one more. I want you to have a clone backup right before you do the Sierra upgrade. And I want you to have a backup that you can put on a shelf um, or stick in a drawer. In fact, I did one. A couple, I've got a clone backup that's a couple of weeks old. I, I have a second hard drive that I took out of the rotation. And it's just sitting here in my desk drawer. Um, if I need to revert back, I, I've got the easy ability to do so. Yeah, and the idea is you keep that for three or four months before you do anything with it. Because you don't want to run into that situation where you find the file that you didn't get and not have it anymore. But you still want to keep your normal backup procedures going because you don't want to go three or four months without backing up. Of course. Uh, another another way you can do some of this stuff is like your key data files, like the stuff maybe in your Dropbox or your documents folder, the stuff where you keep the active data that you work on. Um, I would recommend going ahead and putting on the um, putting that on a um, backup storage. Like if you have a Drobo or if you have an attached big hard drive, just go ahead and copy it on there and you'll be fine. Uh, the, the update itself is going to take you about an hour. So go ahead and, you know, push the button. And I guess it depends on your hard drive, how much storage is and processing speed. But, you know, it takes about an hour. But once you've got the backup done, you, it's okay to go ahead and push the button. It'll walk you through the process and uh, just install the new operating system. Once you throw the switch and it restarts the system, then it's going to ask you a few questions about Siri and about and whether you want to use this uh, optimized storage. There's nothing wrong with that. Go ahead and you know make your decision. We've already talked about it now, whether or not you're going to do optimized storage or not. And then once you're, um, you're through the installation process, you're good to go. You've got Sierra installed. It, it's really a lot easier than it used to be. Yeah, and I don't think you need to do anything fancy. Just boom, click the button. So there are some concerns, and in particular, some concerns that Mac Power users need to know about. Yeah. Yeah. One of them is our um, sponsor, Fujitsu, has had some trouble with their scanning software. And it's apparently happening where it, it, we don't have all the details. We're just learning about it now. The thing hasn't shipped yet, but they've, they, they're aware of it. There's an issue with when it's scanning that it's having some blank pages or later found blank pages when you do an OCR something to do with Sierra. They've promised an update. We've reached out to them and uh, we just reached out before we recorded. So we don't have an answer yet, but we'll keep you up to date. So uh, if you're relying on your Fujitsu scanner, you may want to hold up a week or two until they get everything sorted out. Yeah. One of the concerns here um, is that it is not clear right now whether this is just going to impact scans that you make on Sierra or whether this could potentially impact scans that you've already made. And I find that kind of hard to believe, but there's some question about that. And so that's what makes me particularly nervous. And we'll put a link in the show notes to the advice that Fujitsu has put out. And again, we're recording this on the 19th. I'm very hopeful that by the time you actually get the show that the issue is resolved. I do have to give Fujitsu props. They actually um, put a notice up on my computer. I think they use the software update mechanism to do this uh, last week. And and said, we're aware of this and kind of gave a warning, you know, a week before the operating system came out, you know, telling people not to not to update. 
I, I know it's frustrating, but I think, you know, at least that they were proactive about that was was something positive. Yeah. Um, the programs with deep integrations always are of concern. Like we're talking about clone backups. You don't want to run a clone backup right after you run the update. And unless they have told you that this update is working with Mac OS Sierra, um, same thing with maintenance utilities, anything that's doing under the hood stuff on your Mac, all that stuff kind of goes on a holding pattern in terms of usage after there's an update until you've been told, yes, we've got it updated for Sierra. And I believe both Carbon Copy Cloner and Super Duper have issued updates. But if you've got those like on automatic backup rotation, you are going to have to launch the app and manually update before you run your next automatic backup. Yeah. And it's interesting to see the developer community actually does a pretty good job of this. You know, like, um, um, uh, you know, a lot of the little utilities we talk about, I've been seeing updates come through. Um, uh, what's the name of the Butler app in the menu bar? It's, is it Butler? <laughs> Bartender? Uh, escaping my name. Bartender. Yes. Like Bartender has a beta update on its website. My guess is by the time the thing goes live, it'll be automatically updating. A lot of the like under the hood utility stuff is in pretty good shape. But uh, if you've got something in particular you use, the, a really good time to check that is before you push the button on the update. <laughs> uh, don't just push the button on the update if you've got something that's out of the ordinary because you don't want to have your machine go down on you. I think best best practice is to check the developer's website. And if you are using your Mac for business, if you're using your Mac to make money, this is something that is mission critical. Wait, wait and make sure that the update goes well for other people. Uh, I've been running the beta for a while now. Um, and now that I think about it, I actually don't know that I have used my ScanSnap since I've installed the beta. And the only reason for that is because I actually bought a second ScanSnap for the office. And that's the one that I've been using primarily. Um, I took my scan snap to the office before the second one came in. So it was just kind of an interesting bit of timing that I haven't been using the scan snap connected to my Sierra machine um, for probably since I installed Sierra. So I don't know if I've been hit with this bug. I know, David, you said you have been, but I have been using it, but I am not aware of being hit with the bug, which is a little scary. I'm going to have to go back and take a look at my scans over the last few weeks to make sure everything worked out. But the, um, it, it's been looking fine. I mean, I see them show up on the screen. The way I scan is they, they actually show up on the screen. I have them. So I look at them and quite often process them right after they're scanned. And I've not seen any problems. I'm having it by default. They run OCR for me when they do the scan. So I don't know. Maybe I have been hit by it, but I haven't seen any evidence of it yet. Before we get, we want to talk about the Apple Watch update too. We didn't have time for it last week with iOS. But before we get there, with all this stuff going on with Sierra, I'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about new Macs. Is that all right? We don't have any. Yeah, that's the problem, right? I mean, so a lot of people out there listening, we get we hear about folks about this all the time saying, hey, are we going to get you know new Macs? When is that happening? Katie and I don't know for anything for certain. I do know I get to talk to people from the fruit company when I go up to WWDC and I hear things. And and you don't even have to go to WWDC. All you have to do is go on the internet and type in new MacBook Pros question mark. And you'll see there's tons of stuff on the internet. There's even mock-up images of what they think it's going to look like. But the MacBook Pro is definitely long in a tooth. The, the only Mac that currently is not due for an update is the MacBook, you know, the plain MacBook, which got an update, I don't know, several months ago. And it was just kind of a speed bump. It wasn't anything revolutionary. But there's something going on. You know, they have this new MacBook Pro. Everybody's been hearing about it. I think Apple has fully intended to release it for a while now, but for one reason or another, it's not happening. Uh, 
if the rumors are to be believed, it's got a fancy new function key row at the top of the keyboard that is an OLED screen. So rather than have the buttons you press to turn up brightness and down brightness, it actually changes to display um, features based on what app you're doing or what you're doing. I mean, nobody knows exactly how they're going to implement it, but it's kind of a second screen in essence on your keyboard. Uh, Katie, I know that you are in the market for a new MacBook. How do you stand with all this stuff uh, up in the air like this? Patiently waiting. Um, I'm waiting for the new MacBook. I'm looking for a new 13-inch MacBook. I'd also love for Apple to release a cinema display, a new Retina cinema display. Uh, I would probably buy both of those if they would come out. Um, and still I wait. Yeah, well, one of the questions is, can you make a Retina screen and a laptop without anything really fancy? Because the iMac, the Retina iMac has a whole bunch of, you know, WYSIWYG stuff underneath the, um, I guess WYSIWYG is the wrong word there, a bunch of fancy stuff under the hood that allows you to have this super high resolution screen. Now you've got to put all that into a cable that can go from a MacBook to a screen. And I know that that was a challenge, but it seems like other manufacturers. Yeah, you can put, you can put the card in the, in the display. Well, either way, it's a lot of data that's got to get there. So you've got to have a pipe big enough that you can go from the laptop to the screen and still drive all those pixels and the video card. And, you know, just, I think there's a lot of stuff going on, but my guess is Apple can solve that problem. So that's one of the questions. The other question is what's up with this new design to the MacBook? You know, we've we've transitioned to USB 3 on a lot of devices, or USB-C, excuse me, and I imagine that the MacBook's going to get at least some USB-C love. And where does the MacBook Air stand in all of this? Is it still going to be the device without a retina screen that's just kind of a low-priced device, or is it even going to get an update at this point? And all this stuff is kind of up in the air. So if you're thinking about a MacBook, now is a terrible time to buy one. Uh, any day now we'll hear from, I wouldn't be surprised if it's by the end of October we hear about it. Yeah. I think rumors are pointing to sometime in October. If they didn't happen at this event, I think we're looking at October. I mean, they want, they presumably want to get them out before the holidays. My, my, my sister called me and said, Oh, you're, you know, my goddaughter and niece is, is on their way to the Apple store. She wants to get a new MacBook pro. And I'm like, stop, you know, stop her. Uh, but I, I think everybody should just wait. And, um, I, I also think that some, new features are going to show up, you know, with these new Macs. My guess is in a perfect world, Apple wanted to have those new Macs out before Sierra hit the the wires. And if there is a thumbprint sensor in them, and if there is some other stuff like a, this OLED bar, that the operating system is going to get some new features to, to match that stuff. The interesting thing, Katie Floyd, is I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be in on that. Yeah, because you've got your fancy iPad Pro now and you don't need a laptop. I I feel pretty good about it. I mean, just I just to report in on the experiment. I I was finding that I was never using my MacBook, uh, or very rarely since I've been using the iPad Pro, and I use my Mac all the time. I'm not one of those guys who's saying I'm going to just give up on on the Mac, but but that for mobile stuff, the iPad Pro is working. So my daughter's computer was failing, so I gave her my MacBook and. I just don't miss it. The, the one thing I miss it on, I guess, is when I'm working on my iBooks author books, I can't do that any on anything except my iMac now, where I used, I used to be able to work on it on my laptop. But I think I'm willing to give up on that to save the cost of a Mac and having another device to kind of keep track of. Uh, but it'll be fun to see. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that. We So I think we do have some more Mac, Apple hardware coming, and uh, we'll see how Sierra works with all that. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. 
When your information is too important to go anywhere else, put it in 1Password. Online security is hard work. You've got to put some effort into it. You've got to come up with unique passwords. You've got to have a good way to store them securely. And you've got to be willing to change weak or duplicate passwords when the need arises. The trouble is, all of this stuff takes time, and you're busy. That's where 1Password comes in. Using 1Password, you can store all your passwords, pen codes, documents, or credit cards. You can change those weak or duplicate passwords, and you can save time on the web by signing into accounts with a single click. Put simply, when you sign up for a 1Password license, you're getting all of that great security, but offloading all the hard work to 1Password. I use 1Password to keep all of my most important data behind the 1Password Secure Vault. It's locked up tight, but also always available to me because 1Password has apps for iPad and iPhone and Mac. They also have Android and Windows covered if that's your thing. And most recently, 1Password has added a great new feature called 1Password Families and 1Password Teams. With 1Password Families, you can bring your whole household into the 1Password love. This doesn't just teach your loved ones about good, secure methods for interacting with the internet. It's also incredibly convenient. If you change the bank password, you don't have to go to your wife's or your kids' computers to type in that whole new password. You can just share it through your 1Password family account. You can also section off certain types of passwords. So maybe the kids get the Netflix password, but not the banking password. It's easy and convenient. With 1Password Teams, you get a similar set of features for your team at the office. It allows you to make sure your employees adequately secure their passwords and you have full control over who has access to your most important information. Now, Katie and I think these new features are excellent and something everybody should consider. So we asked 1Password, what can you do for our listeners? And they said they're going to give you 20% off by signing up for 1Password Families or 1Password Teams at onepasswordcom MPU. And note that MPU needs to be in all caps. So don't miss out on your chance. Get 20% off 1Password Families and 1Password Teams. Head over to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps. Okay, we didn't get to talk about the Apple Watch. Um, uh, so you've got it on your Apple Watch now. How do you like it? I do. Um, I, it's fine. I, I, uh, Watch OS 3 is, is now on the Apple Watch. I'm certainly liking some of the features. I am finding it somewhat speedier, although I will admit that I'm still not using a lot of third-party apps on the Apple Watch. So I'm not having much of a problem with speed on my Apple Watch just because I'm not launching that many apps. Um, there are a few things that take a little getting used to just because some of the navigation is different. I think it's different in a good way, but it's just like anything. If you've got some muscle memory built up, then uh, you've got to figure out how to reuse these things again. So let's break it down a little bit. Uh, you get some new faces. Uh, they've got a bunch of fitness related faces, which are nice. And one of the things I like is you can swipe. It used to be you had to force press and then swipe to change faces, but I change faces quite often. I've got like a fitness face when I do my workout and my run in the morning and I, I just swipe to that and it's great and it has all the stuff that I want to see on that face. Then I just swipe it again to my utility face, which is what I do when I work. And then when I go to Disneyland, I have a face that I use. Did you, you want to hear my face? Here, this, listen to this. It's 4.41. <laughs> Did you know it could do that? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I hear it again, Katie. I'll play it for you again. It's 4.42. 
Does that make you happy? Makes me happy. <laughs> so if you have the Mickey or Minnie face and you tap on it, they tell you the time in Mickey, Mickey language. I haven't tested yet. I wanted to see if I will do it in other languages. If anybody's out there, let me know. Like if you're in wherever you're at, you're at you've got a different language, but so that's cool. Um, the, the user interface, um, is throughout. I mean, when they re first released the watch and we'll put the review, I thought John Gruber did a really good job with his, um, Apple watch review. And the point he made was when Apple first released the Apple watch, they didn't really know what people would use or what this thing was for. And I think they have a much better idea now. And these changes are reflecting that. So changing watch faces is easier. That, that friends button that we had before that nobody ever used, they got rid of it and they turned it into in essence, a dock where you can move between your most commonly used apps. And what it's going to do by default is it's going to keep your most recent apps in there. And then you can decide if you want to keep that app in the dock. So I've been keeping, um, for example, my first app in the dock is my now playing list because I use that quite a bit in the car. My, uh, my iPhone will pair to my car. And then usually I just keep my phone in my purse or in my pocket and then I can control, um, because my car doesn't have the controls built into it, but I can control the playback, you know, from my wrist. Yeah, it's nice. And OmniFocus, the new uh, update to OmniFocus is a great app now. Um, and this, the, what they found was, uh, and this was another thing from the Federighi talk at WWDC, is that they, once they got into it, they were super conservative with battery on the original release of the Apple Watch, because the one thing they did, the story they did not want told is that my watch stopped working at 4 p.m. You know, that would have been bad. So they were so conservative that they realized that they had a little room to play with. They could increase the performance and they could increase the um, the, the toll on the battery by having more apps running. So that's what led to this dock. And before it was a snapshot of your image. Now it is truly a, a background version of the app. It's still limited. Of course, they're not going to go crazy. They don't want your watch to stop working at 4 p.m. But these are nice and the apps need to be updated for it. And not everybody's done that yet, but it's starting to happen. And I think the whole experience of using the watch is better. Uh, one other thing I think is much better is just slide up from the bottom and you get control center. You have a control center for the watch. It's great. You can, if you want to put it on, you know, turn the volume off or if you want to ping your iPhone or they've got, I think, six different buttons there that is just a slide away anytime you need it. It's just a much better implementation. I'm, I'm really happy with it. Well, and I think one of the other things that they've really worked on is minimizing the clicks, minimizing the interactions, making sure that everything is right at your fingertips. So, for example, in messages, which is something that I use frequently on the watch, um, you no longer have to tap something to reply to a message. Your canned replies or the options to reply are now right under the message. So for when you when you receive a message, you can either immediately see your canned replies, um, hit the dictation button to activate Siri and dictate your replies, or now there's an option to scribble. So um, which which you'd think it would be very weird on the watch, but especially if it's a short word um, or a short phrase, just just scribbling out a quick answer on the watch. Uh, it, it can work for something. Yeah, so you scribble one letter at a time on the watch face and it transcribes that to to text for you. I find I don't need that much. I think the Siri thing is good and the canned replies are very smart. They get, they get smarter. So when someone asks you a question, it gives you the most common replies. You just tap on one and send it off. Um, the fitness improvements are good too. You can share your rings, although I haven't done it yet. I want to share them with you, Katie. I need you to keep me on honest, you know. Okay. We'll have to, I'll have to work on that. 
Um, and then they've got this new Breathe app, which which I will admit I've I've used a few times, and I find it kind of refreshing. Yeah, why not? Anytime you can get people to stop and breathe, that's not a bad idea. Uh, we covered earlier in the show the ability to unlock your Mac. If that works for you, great. Unfortunately, it hasn't worked for me. Um, I tell you that one of the features that I am actually kind of excited about, especially as someone who who lives alone, uh, is the SOS feature on the watch. Yeah, exp- explain that. So it's kind of, don't laugh, like one of these, I fall in and I can't get up buttons. But um, basically what it does is if you press and hold the side button of your watch, it gives you the ability to call 911 or whatever the emergency services is in your country and simultaneously send a message to your contacts, to your emergency contacts, up to three people um, that you've activated emergency services on your watch and it will send them your last known location. So the way you set this up, if you haven't gone back since you installed watchOS 3 and looked at the watch app on your iPhone, I suggest you do so because there are a lot more features in there. Um, And so you can go in and you can customize this in the watch app on your phone under general, under emergency SOS. Um, I've actually got mine set up so you that I have to both hold and then tap a confirmation to call because I was afraid that I would I would. inadvertently set it off um, because I have inadvertently pressed that button, um, you know, like when I was just leaning back on my hands or something like that. Um, so I've, I've, I've set it so that it not only requires me to hold for three seconds, but hold and then swipe. Um, and then from there, you can set up emergency contacts. So I've put several family members in there that if I hit that button and I slide and send an SOS that they're going to get a notification. You should put me on there. I think you're a little far away to help. I would be there, man. I would I would get on a plane. I'd, I'd be there for you, Katie. And I would be dead by the time you got here. Yeah, SOS, I think it's a good idea. And you're right. I mean, why not have something like that? I believe it also sends location information. Yeah, I'll, I'll admit I was doing something kind of stupid the other day. I was, I was, uh, up, we had, we had a, a hurricane come through and I had some issue. I had a, something on my roof. I was trying to get off and I was up on the ladder, kind of up on my tippy toes. Yeah, I'm supposed to do that. No, I was thinking, I was like, you know what, this is, this is really stupid. I'm like, if I fall, my neighbor's going to see me, right? Because I'm going to land in my yard. And then I'm like, hmm, this would be a good feature for the SOS. Yeah. <laughs> well, my new watch is showing up tomorrow. So that's the one thing I'm getting. What did you get? Did you get the same watch? No, I went crazy. I got stainless steel. I want to be like you. Wow. All right. Good for you. All right, gang. Uh, so there we have it. Mac OS Sierra and Apple Watch iOS 3. So we're now done covering all the new stuff that's out. I hope you're enjoying it. Let us know what you think we missed. If there's something you particularly like about all these new updates Apple has issued this month, send it in for the live show. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, go ahead and send those to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. You can also contact us on Twitter. We are at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd. I am at Max Sparky. Thanks to our sponsors, Omni Group, 1Password, Hover, and MacPaw. We'll see you next week.